evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler, Associate Editor at Reader Views, filling in for Irene Watson. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 163 in our series. Tonight's topic will be writing as a blind author with special guest Gretchen Preston. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with Gretchen Preston, who is a children's book author living near Marquette, Michigan. Legally blind since the fifth grade, she writes books on a laptop computer equipped with talking software. Originally from Portland, Oregon, she is one of five children. Gretchen went to college at University of Oregon and graduate school at Arizona State. Trained as a medical social worker, Gretchen worked on an organ transplant team in Denver. Her interest in writing came early. She wrote her first book when she was just 17 years old, The Idiot Cookbook, The Complete Cookbook for the Complete Idiot, which was an unpublished work pattern after Peg Bracken's The I Hate to Cook Cookbook. In her job as a medical social worker, she wrote newsletter articles and patient education manuals. Gretchen Preston is the author of the Valley Cats series of books, jam-packed with local fun and adventure, Valley Cats, The Adventures of Booney and River, and more Valley Cats, Fun Games and New Friends, both of which can be purchased via her website, which is www.prestonhillpress.com. Well, good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've uh I've I'll just say up front that I've known Gretchen now for about three years and uh we've we've done lots of events together and I've uh been able to witness how well she does um with her with her vision issues um as an author. So uh Gretchen, just to start out, um Victor mentioned that you were not uh you were able to see up until about the fifth grade or so. So could you just tell us a little bit about exactly what kind of vision problem you have and uh also, um, as an author, um, how that affects your writing and how you actually do write your books. I'd be happy to do that. A, p- a part of what I do is educate people about what visual impairment and blindness is. I have a hereditary disease called Stargard's by macular degeneration, which is a juvenile onset form of macular degeneration that uh, many of you may be familiar with from older people. But this is a kind that uh, kids inherit through uh, their parents. I actually have a brother who also is visually impaired. But as is typical for this uh, eye disease, I had normal vision until about the age of 11 in the fifth grade. So by that time, I had learned to read and ride a bike and ski and uh, appreciate having full vision. And then in a two-week period, I lost... uh, quite a bit of my usable vision. I couldn't see the uh, board from the back of the room or read the normal size print uh, in the textbooks. And my parents, not knowing what was wrong, um, took me to the University of Oregon uh, Health Sciences University, where they actually specialize in uh, diseases of the eye, where I was diagnosed, as well as my brother, with this uh, rare eye disease. 
And my parents made a choice at that point. Um, we're talking this was 1965, uh, not to send me to uh, away to a special school for the blind because I still had quite a bit of usable vision. I could still see large type and see well enough to ride a bike and, and ski cautiously, those kinds of things. So they kept me in regular school all the way through um, through high school. And actually, this is a pretty good time in history to have a visual impairment uh, because especially now with all the modern technology that we have and uh, assistive technology devices, uh, I actually have, uh, for example, a computer that talks to me. In the old days, when I was a kid, all we had was magnifying glasses and large types. So we've come a long way in uh, 50 years. But, uh, you know, honestly, I tell people that my visual impairment has opened more doors than it has closed in my life because uh, I was considered a disabled child, quote, unquote, I was able through the uh, Rehabilitation uh, Center for the Blind to get a full scholarship to go to college. I wanted to be a geneticist to go to medical school, and they wouldn't pay for me to be a uh, a physician, especially one at that time uh, before computers that would be looking through uh, microscopes and things. So they encouraged me to uh, become a medical social worker where I could still be involved in medicine, which was a field that I was interested in and I loved, and, uh, but still be able to uh, perform as an active member of, uh, of a medical team. I did go to University of Oregon on a scholarship and uh, get a degree in social work. I was also the outstanding junior woman at the University of Oregon my junior year, which was quite an honor and made my parents very happy. And then uh, I, after graduation, I worked in the in the field for about a year, and it was very obvious uh, in the field of social work that you really had to have a master's degree in order to uh, make a profession and be able to support yourself. And so I went on again um, with uh, public funds to the Arizona State University where I got a master's degree in social work. So because of my visual impairment, I got all my schooling paid for, and I feel very fortunate uh, that I was able to do that because probably would not have been able to go through school certainly so swiftly uh, without um, having a vision loss. So it, it opened many, many doors for me. And, and Gretchen, I know, um, I well, we were at an event just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you, we were at an outdoor event, and you were helping me put up the tent, and uh, I'm, I'm always amazed when I realize you are able to see something. So could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about just what uh, what it is that you can or can't see, mm-hmm. and, you, and how do you think your situation differs from somebody who can't see anything at all, like somebody that was actually born completely blind? Well, I do have quite a few uh, totally blind friends, and I feel very, very fortunate for the amount of vision that I do have. Um, to give you an example of what I can and can't see, I can't see a lot of details. 
so I can't see the details of people's faces and that kind of thing. I can see a general outline. I can see um, shades of color, like if you were wearing a light-colored shirt and dark-colored pants, I would be able to see that. I don't have uh, any depth perception, so stairs are my nemesis. So when I am traveling in unfamiliar places, I do use uh, uh, one of the uh, blind white canes. And soon I will be um, applying to get a guide dog. I don't see well enough to drive, so I've never, well, I've driven a car, but never legally on the road, but, you know, out in the farm fields and things, I do know how to operate a car. But I, I can see, um, you know, about five feet in front of me, um, not clearly, you know, people say, is it clear, and, you know, it, it, everything is pretty fuzzy and not a lot of detail, but you know, I, I see well enough to navigate uh uh, independently around my home and in, in familiar places in the streets of uh, Marquette, which is a small town. I have um, gone to special mobility training uh, through the Rehabilitation Center for the Blind where they, they teach you to navigate and use as much of your usable vision as you can. But they also teach you how to use your other senses uh, for example, when you are crossing a street as a visually impaired or a blind person, you listen for the traffic. You listen for the sound of the light to change. You actually can hear when the light changes, which uh, a lot of people might not realize, sighted people, that you can actually hear the clicking of the, the gears or whatever it is when the light changes. Um, but it is uh, difficult now with these electric cars that don't make noise. You can't hear them coming up on you. So they have caused uh, many visually impaired people um, to step out in front of a car that they normally would have heard. So that's uh, one reason why I am going to be getting a guide dog for traveling not only in uh, our town, Marquette, which is a small town, but I do quite a bit of uh, independent traveling uh, on airplanes and such to big cities, and I think just having a guide dog will be um, very not only helpful for me, but I think it'll be really fun to to have a guide dog to a dog that you can take to the library and to the movies and into restaurants and into the grocery store. My my friends, I think, are excited as excited as I am to uh, for me to have a guide dog that we can take in places. I can't read my own books, for example, my book. Uh, right now uh, are out in print, and uh, I can see that there are words on the page, and I can see the pages where they are uh, illustrations, but I can't see the details of of those. So when I work with my illustrator, uh, we talk about what our vision is for the illustration for that picture, and then she explains to me um, what she has drawn and the details of it. So we work together. She's um, very good at uh, telling me exactly, you know, what colors she's used and the expressions on the characters' faces and the action in the illustration and that kind of thing. So it it uh, does give you some uh, challenges, but I think that it has made me, honestly, um, a better writer 
because in I do a lot of explanation, and I, when I talk with kids about observation, about you know not only how things look to the characters, but how how the outside, how the pine forests, for example, might smell, how the warm sun might feel. Uh, my characters are cats, so on on the fur on their backs. Uh, how delicious uh, a piece of fish might taste to them. So I really uh, go into the all of the sensory experiences. And I think for cats, they do experience their world in a a, a multi sensory manner. So. It really gives um, the readers uh, a good idea of not only the setting of each story, uh, but exactly a feel for all the experience, sensory experiences that they would be experiencing uh, in the outdoor environment. I, I remember, Gretchen, the first time we met and I asked you um, like if you could actually see me and you, you said something like, you, you could just see my shape and um, you could tell that I was there, and you could tell that I must be very handsome. I, I always that I liked yes. you. <laughs> I Everyone's liked handsome. You <laughs> all men are handsome, and all women are beauties to me. You covered some of this. Now, my next question was going to be about your illustrations um, in terms of what you could actually see. I wonder, can you see any of your illustrations? And you, you mentioned that Karen, um, your illustrator, she does a lot of explaining to you what she's drawn, but do you ask other people for um, feedback on the illustrations as well, like your husband, Tim? or Absolutely. Actually, since my books are children's books, my first proofreader is an actual kid. And I have her read the stories actually in rough draft form, and we talk about them um, as far as the content for a child. And then I ask her, you know, what do you think would be a good illustration for this picture? Because in a short story, my books are, are chapter books, so they're short stories. Um, you know, what would be, what do you, when you have finished the story, what, what is the vision that you have in your mind when I say the, the title of that chapter? What, what do you see in your mind? And so we, we try to keep that in mind when we're choosing exactly which um, action in the story to illustrate. But, you know, sometimes we are limited uh, at, by print layout as to which illustration we use, by where it needs to fall um, in the paging to put a, a color illustration in. Because my, my books are hardcover, um, color-illustrated books, and since I am a self-published author, I do have to take um, some shortcuts here and there to um, be able to put illustrations in where they've printing-wise, would fall in the, the printing run in the uh, the best place because I want to have the illustration in the story landing uh, very close to where in the text that particular action takes place. But we, when I'm doing the story and when Karen and I first um, have our first meeting regarding the illustration, I always have a vision of what my first preference of of what I would like the illustration to be. And then I explained to her that it would be, uh, for example, the first chapter of the first book is called Pet Parade, and I would like a picture of the cats uh, in in the parade, Booney in his Barbie car, and 
river in his decorated wagon going down the down valley road with the people on the sidelines and the other other pets and and I mean she draws what I think I mean it's just it has been a miraculous relationship really from the beginning because Karen can draw what's what's in my head and she's just a, a very very gifted illustrator but it is important to communicate with your illustrator exactly what you you do want um, as the author of the book or the story. She's had some experience with some other authors where they've told her what they wanted and then she's dr- done her rough draft illustration. They're like, oh, no, that's not what I want. So we've really um, developed and she has learned from working with me how to communicate with authors so that she doesn't spend a lot of time drawing illustrations that the the author is um, not going to be exactly happy with. So it's it's been a real learning experience for both of us to do that. She actually, I didn't know this in uh, the Valley Cats, uh, The Adventures of Boonie and River book, drew me in to two of the illustrations without me knowing until after the book was published. Nobody told me that. It was my surprise. Because even though my characters are real people, my real neighbors who live on Valley Road have been gracious enough to allow me to use them as characters in my book. I am not a character in my book. And kids often ask me that. Why aren't you in the books? And I was like, well, these books aren't about me. But Karen snuck me in. So I, I, am, in, I am in a couple of illustrations, um, but not with not by my instruction but it was a really fun surprise when the book came out and and uh, people said you're in the book you're right there and I'm like oh my goodness it's it's maybe me just from behind or from the side but just like as a a person in the crowd so that that was a really fun fun thing I did want to talk a little bit about the special software that I use because people might be interested in that if they uh if they are visually impaired themselves or perhaps have a family member who is there is wonderful assistant assistive technology for writing on your computer uh the software program that I have uh for my um laptop computer is uh from a company called Freedom Scientific, and it's called JAWS, Job Access with Speech. And I don't use a mouse. I You learn keyboard commands, or what they call keystrokes, for the different functions of the computer. So instead of using a mouse, I have keystrokes that I use for all the different functions of the computer. And really anything that a sighted person can do on the computer, I can do uh, with my um, my talking software, my JAWS. I can read it. When I, I type a letter, it'll, it says the letter. I can give it a command to a keystroke command to read by word or by line or by paragraph or the entire document. Uh, I can work in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, you can do math equations. You can draw tables. Uh, it will pick up errors, um, typos in your your uh, your spell check. It has an, a more in-depth spell check where it'll tell you when there's maybe an open quotation mark or if you've maybe put something in italics when you didn't mean to or there's a change of font. So it, it will really 
uh, as you become more proficient using the JAWS software, um, it, 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 I can really do everything that a sighted person can do. I'm still learning the JAWS, and they're still improving the software, um, gosh, almost monthly. Um, they come out with new things that, that we can do. So it, it's really made uh, the writing world uh, really quite easy for me. And because my software will read my stories out loud to me, and since my my stories happen to be children's books, I have written and punctuated them to be read aloud with the use of my JAWS software because the, it, since it reads aloud to me, I can tell the cadence, cadence of the sentence structure and things to make sure that it's going to be the sentence, sentences flow together nicely for someone who would, would be reading them out loud. So it makes my books really um, fluid to read out loud. We've just um, this summer completed the audio recording of the first book so that my book will be accessible to um, not only visually impaired people but to uh, younger kids who are too young to read my books to be able to use them um, either uh, via CD or with a digital download into an iPod or other device where they could have the, the books read aloud to them. And that's been that's been really really fun. And I actually enjoyed listening to the young lady, thirteen year old girl Grace Fellies, who read my books out loud during the recording sessions. Actually, the audio producer and I both commented that there were times that we both got lost in the stories. I forgot that I wrote those stories. I wrote them, especially the first book, a couple of years ago, and I'm working on a third book now. And it was really fun to hear those stories again and, and to get lost in, in them. How do you uh, take your show on the road? And, you know, you said you just worked at the Children's Museum mm-hmm. and, and keep everything, all your ducks in a row. Well, I have a staff of, I have a very small staff who uh, who I employ. Um, for example, this evening I had a driver who came and uh, picked me up, happens to be a neighbor of mine, uh, unemployed gentleman who, you know, is happy to take me wherever I need to go. And uh, I can see well enough I'm very organized, which I, I think is important for every author, especially when you first start doing book signings and things. How many books do I take? What do I take? Um, you know, I have things that I give away to f- free for kids, and I've got – stuffed cats that I take with me and make sure everything packs up tight. And over the years, my my box has gotten smaller and smaller because I've gotten more proficient as to the numbers of things that I need to take with me. Um, When I go with Tyler, for example, I mean, people are happy if you ask them, you know, to help you lift this or or do the, you know, Point me in the right direction. You know, people are very, very, have been very gracious in, in helping me do those things. But I, I do operate quite, quite independently. When I make change, you know, at these fairs where you are responsible for your own cash box, my books are purposefully uh, priced at 19.95, which includes the sales tax here in the state of Michigan. And then all I have to do is give people a nickel back, so that makes it easy. But if people hand me a bill that I don't recognize, I'm just very upfront with, 
um, you know, I'm visually impaired. You know, could you please tell me what the denominations of the bills are so I make sure to get you back um, proper change? When I autograph books, um, I'm blessed to have pretty good handwriting. I just make sure that my book is squared up to the table, and I just, you know, write uh, my my auto, my autograph or whatever they want me to write. I have a little thing that I say on on my books if people don't have a particular thing that they want to say, but. I will tell you, kids' names are getting more and more complicated as time goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and making sure that they're spelled right, you know, and not I don't want to waste a book because I spell a kid's name's name wrong. Because um, I'm always very, very careful to make sure I know how to how to spell a particular child's name because even a common name sometimes is spelled differently. But no one's ever complained. Everyone's always been very, very gracious and um it's it's just been very welcoming. When I walked into the, I did a book signing just prior to this uh, interview this evening. It was pajama night at the Children's Museum here in Marquette, and I was getting set up, and two kids came flying up to my table, and they said, you're the author of the Valley Cats book? And I said, I am. They go, we've been waiting for you. We love your books. And you know what? If I wouldn't have sold a book all night, just those kids telling me that they'd read both my books and how much they enjoyed them, it was. It makes it all worth it. It was. It's really fabulous. Yeah, that's priceless. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you introduced a blind character in your second book. What was your motivation for this, and how has it been received, and, and so forth? Well, I thought that it was important that I share this part of myself with my reading audience through creating a blind character, who again is a real person. My blind character, Winslow, the professor, is patterned after a gentleman who was my um, a computer technology instructor through the Rehabil Rehabilitation Center for the Blind. And I felt like it would be a good way for kids if there was a blind character through the Valley Cats uh, meet this blind gentleman to get an idea of how does he navigate around his yard uh, with his white cane? How does he know where the gardens are? How does he know when he comes to a garden that this is a bed of roses and the cat for, watches him lean over and smell the roses and he pricks his finger on a thorn and and by the smell of the the rose and by the thorn on the stem the winslow is able to say these are roses this is a blind this is a this these are these are roses i can tell by the scent i can tell by the by the thorn that this is a bed of roses and he goes on to other things and he discovers a blackberry patch in his yard and and different things. And in the third book, Winslow actually goes sailing out on a sailing uh, sailboat in Lake Superior. And I was able to take a fabulous sailboat ride this summer with uh, a friend of mine. And uh, ha kept, even though I'm visually impaired, I can still see a little bit. I kept my eyes closed the whole time and and made notes as to what does it feel like to be on a sailboat when you're blind and when the, the boat goes from side to side and when they switch the sail directions of the sails and you hear the sails 
flapping in the wind and you hear the boom and feel the boom go across the boat when the the sails are are changing direction and how the wind smells out on on the lake and things and i think that that was a very enjoyable chapter to write to uh to see how this gentleman experienced that he also went for a hike for the first time with a backpack and the character Winslow in a story called High Meadow Hike and how scary it was for him not being able to see to have to going on a hike up a trail in the woods and how you have to trust your sighted guides and how you have to make note of of where you're going by different smells and different sounds and and uh so I think it'll be a good way for kids to um you know get a sense for what it what it might be like to um not be able to see well and I think that's really important especially now with uh children with special needs uh being in the everyday classroom children are experiencing um their classmates who might be in a wheelchair or maybe have a mental disability or maybe they're blind or deaf and um I think it it at least for the uh visually impaired people I can give them a hint as to what that might be like and I do a lot of talk talks in schools to kids and kids are always really wanting to know well how do you see well how do you how do you ski how do you snowshoe how do you do your grocery shopping how do you how do you type on your computer and I actually take my computer to the schools with my software activated so that they can actually do some keyboarding and see how how it actually works and that's that's always a big hit when they get to type their name and then do the keystroke command to uh be able to listen to what they they typed or hear their name back sure well while we're on the subject uh how do you give a public reading if you can't read the words i don't i don't I don't read, and my stories don't really lend themselves to to public readings all that much um, because they're short stories, and I have groups of kids. Um, What we do is I tell the stories. I introduce the characters to them. We talk about imagination and observation, and then we talk about what happens uh, in particular stories and what they're they're going to find between the pages. So, so I I don't do I don't do any readings um, where we actually read read the books. I do have people who have offered to come with me and and read the books. And when I have the audio book um, in final form, I may use uh, some clips from the audio book to um to do to do readings when people um you know require that sure, so my presentations thinking. are a little bit different than the normal author presentation standing up blah 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 and reading out of their book i mean i'm a very active public speaker um i'm fortunate enough in my job as a medical social worker i taught uh, a lot of classes and so I'm pretty comfortable in front of a group. And uh, it does add quite a bit to your comfort level when you can't really see your audience. So I just perform and jump up and down and whirl around and tell stories and make jokes. And people laugh, So and I get invited back, so I guess it's okay what I do. 
Great. Yeah, I just crossed my mind while you were talking that uh, you have the pictures and when you have the audio, you could make a short YouTube video out of part of a story or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, there's there's lots of things on my list, and that is certainly one of them, as, you know, as well as a, a book a book trailer um, using the audio. In fact, we I just uh, talked to a young woman today who writes screenplays, and we're going to be working uh, on a, a children's uh, play using my my characters, and it's going to be a um, a no set required uh, children's play, and I think it'll be really interesting to uh, to put it together and see if it can come to fruition in the future. Um, Gretchen, we've been we've been talking about what it's like to be a blind author, but I was wondering if you could um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a blind reader. Um, like, how has how has the publishing industry changed? With I, I imagine you used to read Braille books, and now there's e-books and all that. What what do authors who may not be blind but want to read a blind reach a blind audience need to know? Well, I. Audiobooks are very commonplace now, and I think in the last 10 or 15 years uh, have become very well accepted uh, by the um, general public, uh, especially when um, first cassettes and then CDs came out. Um, people would buy or check out audiobooks from the library, for example, to use when they were driving or when they were working out. And so it's not something that just uh, blind people read audiobooks. Now, I read books um, from the, I am a member of the uh, Michigan State Library for the Blind and get uh, digital books um, on a special recorder that comes from them. And so I do my own free reading that way. But now with the advent of um, audiobooks, for example, I can take an e-book and download it onto my computer, and then with my talking software, it will uh, read it to me. So at least uh, if people are interested in reaching a blind audience, to if they put their book out in ebook form, then um, the blind patron would be able to use their talking software on their computer to read that to them. I'm putting my book out... Um, in a digital download form and in an audio form, and then also in an in an e a print ebook form, so it'll be available in in all all three formats for people. So, um, are like Braille books a thing of the past, and is it even worthwhile doing an audio book if you can just have the the computer read to you? I I would say that it's certainly best to go with the um, most current technology. They are still teaching Braille. I don't. If you've ever seen a Braille book, um, they're very cumbersome. They're they're very big, and they are still teaching Braille to blind students. But I think that will probably be phased out over time because audio is so much more accessible now. You know, assuming that a person can hear. You know, audio books are obviously only accessible to the hearing public. And there are people who are both blind and deaf that, um, you know, uh, where a Braille book would uh, be the most accessible 
to them, but they're they're a little. You have to work through your state library for the blind and physically handicapped to get your book uh, produced in Braille. But that certainly is possible. Great. Well, you've been an inspiration to all our listeners. I wondered if you might have uh, something to share because everybody has something that's holding them back. You know, it could be you know maybe they have a, a loss of a limb or they they don't hear well or something. What what can you give them in terms of uh, encouragement? Well, you know, I just feel that we were all put on this earth to help each other. And all of us, everybody has something, you know, whether you're re- willing to admit it. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time who say, oh, I have a book in me. You know, I said, well, just start typing, you know, especially if you can use a computer. If you don't know how to keyboard, you know, take a take a class at your local community college or at your library or at your um, local employment center and, and really and learn how to type because once you can once you can learn how to type, it's like learning how to read. You know, your whole world op- opens up. And if you've got a book in you, whether you have a physical impairment or something else, I mean, just just start writing. The great thing about writing on a computer is you don't have to write in any certain order. You don't have to write in full sentences. You can put down your ideas and then you can go back and edit and move things around later, which, you know, in the olden days, you know, you couldn't do it that way. You had to type it the way that you wanted it to be in in your uh, final draft form and it took many, many, many drafts and our technology now has has made it so much easier. And not everybody has to write a book. You know, you can write magazine articles, you can submit things to newspapers, um, you know, there's or to newsletters or create a blog. There's there's lots of different ways to, you know, get what's in you out of you. Um, it doesn't always just have to be in book form. I, I did not plan to write a children's book. I started, I made up these children's stories and I, I typed them up for the young lady who I had made the stories up for and shared them with and thought that I would, oh, just make her a little book that I would type up and, you know, put in a pretty binder and give them to her, you know, for a gift. And I got carried away and it ended up being a 14-chapter, hardcover, beautifully illustrated book, but not everybody has to do that necessarily. Just just write. You know, write every day. I think that, you know, no matter what what you write, just the practice of writing, I think, makes, makes us all better writers. You know, more than just answering your email, you know, whether you journal or you do research or, you know, you just write what's you know, happens to be inside you that day, you know, or just what you are observing that very moment. But just the the practice of writing itself, I think, makes you a better writer. Well, great. Those are definitely words to live by. And let's uh, remind all our listeners, uh, what's the best ways that they can get a hold of you on the web or by email or, or just let us know? Well, my name is Gretchen Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N. I am a self-published author. The name of my publishing company is Preston Hill Press, and so you can get me at PrestonHillPress.com. My Gmail is PrestonHillPress at gmail.com, or if you Google Valley Cats, you'll come up with two two things. You'll come up with a 
a baseball team in um, Upper State <laughs> New York, <laughs> or it'll say Valley Cats Children's Books, and I'm the Valley Cats Children's Books. All right. Okay, this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest as well on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.